welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning. Uh, Kids can go back K through second to Miss Whitney for Kids Church. Um, Before I get going with the message, Pastor Bert wants me to read a word from him, so he usually, I usually don't get a thus saith Bert Palmer message. Today I do get a thus saith Bert Palmer message. Uh, it's kind of an update about our affiliation process. Um, yesterday, the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church approved our church and 293 other churches' vote to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. Uh, It was a moment that was filled with grace and acknowledged the hurt for many, while at the same time the beginning of new chapters in the lives of different churches and pastors. All five of us pastors on staff here at Kingwood Methodist Church will go to the Global Methodist Church with y'all. Next Sunday, December 11th, after the 11 o'clock worship service, uh, we'll be making a presentation as sort of like a what's next for the church. It'll be over in the sanctuary. This will partly be answering some of the most common questions that we've heard, partly a state of the church report, and then also in part uh, a look at vision casting for the next 50 years of this church going forward. So if you could join us next Sunday, we'll be in person over in the sanctuary at 2.15 p.m. in the sanctuary, or you can watch it via the live stream on our Facebook and YouTube page. Uh, We will also record the presentation and put it up on our website if you want to go back and watch it later. In your Advent journey, we call upon all, we call upon the whole church to continue to be in prayer for this local body of believers, for the new seasons of ministry that God is bringing us to all the churches and the Methodist movement, and to make ourselves available to the healing presence of God in our lives. Um, So as we transition from that to the sermon, uh, one thing as we talked about, or you may have noticed on the screen, our our Advent series for this year is called Roots. Uh, It's this idea that we're looking at what is the origin story of Jesus? What are the, the roots of Jesus? If you haven't had a chance to go and get one of these Advent devotional books, I would encourage you, highly, highly encourage you to go and get one over in the commons after the service. Um, it's a short daily devotional with a few questions each week, and they pair along with the sermons themselves. So we bought uh, sort of a sermon kit from Seedbed, if you're familiar with Seedbed there, uh, one of the main resources that we use here at the church. And so the devotions pair along with the sermons that we're giving. So I just encourage you to get one and read them together uh, with friends or with family. They facilitate great faith conversations. So like yesterday, Uh, the question to discuss among uh, people in your house is we all wander in seasons of our lives. Can you think of a time in the past year when you were on a clear-cut path of life but then found yourself attracted back into the weeds once more? So those are just good questions to facilitate faith discussions within the home because I know that can be a hard thing to do off the top of your head. So we have a guide for you. So I'd encourage you to go get one after the service. Like I said, we're in the middle, or just starting, the family story of Jesus. What is, what is the roots of Jesus? What's the, the backstory behind Jesus? If you know much about me at all, you'll know that I am a huge Star Wars fan. 
love it. I love pretty much everything Star Wars related. Um, about as big of a Star Wars nerd as you can get. And one of my favorite Star Wars trilogies is the prequels. And I like them not because they're necessarily good stories, uh, but because there's the nostalgia factor built in. Those were the movies that I watched in theaters growing up as a child. And so I'm just a huge fan of those movies, and I acknowledge you know, their shortfalls in that they don't really tell an exciting story. But what I love about the prequels in particular is that they do a great job of world-building the universe of Star Wars. They do a great job kind of developing this world in which we, the original trilogy finds itself in. It develops things like the, the planet capital of Corazon, a city that's all a planet that's just a pure city. It delves deep into the, the Jedi Council and sort of the, what does it mean to be a Jedi before the fall of the Republic? And you just kind of get the sense of the immenseness of the Star Wars universe through the prequels. And I know when George Lucas was coming up with those, he wrote them with the intent and heart that the prequels would help you appreciate the original trilogy more. And so when we think about the story of Jesus and we think about the gospel story of God, I think oftentimes we just read the New Testament or we just read the gospels, and you can get the main point of Jesus, you can get the main story, but to unpack the richness of all that God has for us, to unpack the riches of God, to unpack what it truly means, what Jesus' true significance and meaning, we have to understand the background behind the context in which Jesus came into. And that's sort of the point of this series is almost to be like looking at the prequels of Jesus, uh, if you wanted to describe it that way. To look at what is, what is the context from which Jesus came out of, what's the origins of Jesus, what are the significant things about the Jesus story that we maybe don't know or don't appreciate. And so today, last week, Pastor Stacy looked at that Jesus comes to us from a family. He's descendant of King David. He is part of the family of David. And today we're looking at that Jesus comes to us from a people. Jesus comes to us from a people, a people group, a nation, the Israelites. We'll be looking today at the namesake of Israel, uh, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And before we reread the passage that Adam read for us today, looking a bit about the backstory of this passage and the backstory of Jacob a bit. So in names in Scripture, the names was a reflection of who you were as a person. So like right now, we, we sometimes do that with baby names as I'm trying to find out. Like sometimes we'll just pick a name because it sounds cool, but then other times we'll pick a name because it has deep meaning to that person. In Scripture, whenever someone is named, they believe that that was a reflection of the character of that person. And so we go to Jacob, and Jacob was a twin in the womb, and his brother Esau was born ahead of him. And the Scripture tells us that when Esau was being born, Jacob was grasping the heel of Esau as he was being born, so they named him Jacob, which literally in Hebrew means he who grasps the heel, which in Scripture, in Hebrew times, was an idiom for a deceiver. And so you have Jacob, who's named as a deceiver. 
And as you go through the Jacob story in Genesis, you'll see that Jacob lives up to that name that he's been given, that he would manipulate and deceive Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. Later, when his father Isaac was about to pass away, and he was going to bless Esau, the firstborn, give him the firstborn blessing. Jacob dresses up like Esau, makes himself smell like Esau, and then goes to his ailing, dying father and deceives him for the blessing of the firstborn. He stole the blessing through deception, a deceiver, well according to his name. And then he flees Esau because Esau is understandably very angry that he's just taken his inheritance. And so uh, when Jacob flees, he goes and he stays some time with his uncle. When he's with his uncle, he comes up with this scheme to take the strong animals for himself and leave the weak animals with his uncle. And he makes his uncle so angry that they eventually have a falling out and Jacob has to flee his uncle. And you just see this pattern over and over in Jacob's life that he deceives and manipulates and steals from someone and then they just cast him out. Until we come to today's story... In Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30, hear the word of the Lord. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and as he wrestled with that man. Then the man said, let me go for his daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw the face of God, and yet my life was spared. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, and you come across some stories, and you're like, that's kind of weird. This is one of those that's kind of weird stories in Scripture. I mean, you just have Jacob sending his wives and servants over across the way, and then suddenly this strange man comes up, and they decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to wrestle. And they do that all night, and you're just kind of like, "What, what is happening here? And so whenever you come across those like more confusing stories in Scripture, they're always in there for a reason. And the purpose of Scripture is to tell us something about the character and nature of God. And so when we come across these stories, ask yourself, what is this telling us about God or what is this telling us about ourselves? And looking at that question through this lens, I think we can get a few different things that this tells us about God and our relationship with Him. Jacob, in this point in the story, he is about to go meet his brother Esau, the one that he had deceived and stolen his inheritance, stolen his birthright. And the last time Jacob and Esau met was Esau swearing, if I see you again, I will kill you. And so this is years later, Jacob and Esau are about to meet again. And so Jacob sends everyone off ahead of him 
And he's like, you know what? I'm going to hang back for a little bit, understandably so. And so it's this, in this in-between time, this waiting, this time of probably nervous anticipation that Jacob proceeds to wrestle with the Lord. And I think what we can learn in this passage about what does it mean to be a people of God, it means that we are a people who wrestle with God in the waiting. We are a people who wrestle in the waiting. I think in this passage, we see the invitation from the Lord to wrestle with him in our own waiting time. And you don't have to call it wrestling. You could maybe call it something else. You could call it sparring, struggling, whatever idea works in your mind of that sort of interaction with God where you're, you're kind of struggling with him, fighting him. And there's this invitation that we see in Genesis to do that with the Lord. Now, Jacob is in this period where he's probably worried, anxious, not knowing what's Esau going to do when I finally see him face to face. What will Esau do when we meet after all these years? And it's in this unknown space, this uncertain, anxious time, when probably questions were abounding in Jacob's mind, when he had this interaction with the Lord of wrestling with him. It's this invitation to struggle with God, not struggle apart from God. Maybe you have something in your life where you feel like Jacob. You have struggles in your marriage, struggles with your kids. Maybe you have doubts or questions about the faith or about the character of God himself. Struggles with your mental or physical health, or maybe you, you know the call of God on your life and yet you're resisting it and you, you don't want to do it. Friends, today we can hear that invitation from the story of Jacob that God invites us to take those struggles and to struggle with him, not apart from him. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. That's not wrong to have these things in our lives. But what's important is what do we do with these things in our lives? Where we, where we step into error, where we step into where we shouldn't, is when we stop struggling with these things with God and move on. But the Lord invites us to wrestle with him, to struggle with him, to, as the scripture says, to grab a hold of God and don't let him go until he blesses us like Jacob does in this waiting period. So I think a lot of times we have questions about the faith or questions about different things, about why things are going on in our lives. And oftentimes I think that uh, our heart is really, some, our heart is sometimes searching for the answers to those questions, but I think more often than not, what our heart is really searching for is an encounter with the Lord. And what we find is in our struggling, is in our wrestling, that we do have an encounter with the Lord after a period of struggle to hold on to the Lord during our wrestling period, to hold on to the Lord in our waiting. You know, when I, when I was going through healing with my anxiety, you know, I think many times it's this idea of it's like all rainbows and unicorns. 
and suddenly I prayed the right prayer, and the clouds parted, and then the Lord healed me, and then the angelic choir sang over me, and that's how the Lord brought healing to my life. Uh, when that is not how it happened at all, it was through a six-month period of struggle after years-long battle and struggle with the Lord. There was times when I was shouting at God in prayer, when I was angry with him, shaking my fist to the heaven, where I was questioning him and his character and waiting on him to do something and finally answer me. And it was through that period, through that struggle, through that wrestling that I, I learned this key lesson that we can have all these doubts, all these struggles, all these angers, all these things within us as long as we hold on to God in the middle of that because he will never let us go as long as we hold on. And I refused to let go of God because I knew deep down he would never let go of me. And at the end of that wrestling period, that struggling period, there was healing and blessing on the other end. I think that's what it means for us to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christmas people, to be a people who follow Jesus, to be a people descended from Jacob. Where Jesus comes to this man and this story and these people, that Jesus comes into our darkness, that Jesus enters into our doubts, he enters into our wounds and our hurts, and that's the story of Christmas. And that's the story that we see of Jacob, is God meeting Jacob right where he was. And we wrestle with God, we struggle with God, because I believe that there's transformation on the other side of our wrestling. There's transformation on the other side of our wrestling. Uh, Genesis says this in 26 through 28. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You hear that question that the Lord asks Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob has to say to this man, my name is Jacob, that I am Jacob. I am the deceiver. I am the usurper. After uh, he stole Esau's birthright, Esau says to his father Isaac, isn't my brother Jacob so aptly named Jacob? And you can just imagine that when he hears this question from this man, what is your name? It's almost like the man is peering into his soul. Who are you, Jacob? And he sort of admits with all that shame associated with his name, after all that struggling with the Lord, the Lord says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. My name is Deceiver. My name is Usurper. But then catch the response from the Lord here in this passage says, no longer will they call you Jacob, is what it literally says in the Hebrew. People will stop calling you Jacob. Instead, people will call you Israel. People will stop calling you deceiver and usurper, and instead they will call you Israel. The exact meaning of Israel is a bit uncertain in the Hebrew. It could either mean one who struggles with God or it could mean God will strive or God will rule. And I think what's important is not necessarily what Israel means, but I think the most important part in this passage is that God renames Jacob because of his wrestling. 
God renames Jacob and brings transformation into Jacob's lives, life because of his wrestling. And we'll see that, you know, going forward, Jacob isn't the perfect person. He's not, a, he's not a perfect father, which will be the story for the rest of Genesis. We see that Jacob still has his struggles, that just because you have a divine encounter with the Lord doesn't mean every problem suddenly goes away magically. But what we do see is Jacob stops deceiving people after this time. That there is a sanctification process that happens in Jacob's life, that there is a transformation that happens in Jacob's life because of the struggle, because of the wrestling with the Lord. And sometimes the only way that we can find transformation in our own lives is through going through that struggle. Because through struggling with the Lord, we find that there is intimacy in the struggle, even if it doesn't feel intimate in the moment when you're shouting and being angry at him. But it's Jacob grabbing on and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. This invitation to a deeper relationship from the Lord, to not know him on a surface level, to not hide your doubts and your fears before him, but rather this invitation, bring them all to me, because the Lord can handle anything that we bring him. That Christ in Advent comes down and meets us in the dirt, in the muck, and the mire. That Jesus meets his people right where they are. Growing up, uh, one of my favorite things that me and my dad and my brother would do is we love to like play wrestle together. Um, my brother and I are about 18 months apart, and so we were always trying to put one up over my dad. And I realized this later as I grew up that uh, my dad was toying with me and my brother the whole time. Uh, I thought I was a very strong five-year-old, but what I quickly uh, realized as I grew up is I was like, oh no, he's, he was just messing with me the whole time. And so we, me and my brother and my dad would wrestle together where he would like pretend to fall and be like, oh no, you got me. Oh, you're so strong. And we'd be like, yeah, that's right. I am strong. And we would have this struggle together, but it was always funny at the end of our sort of playtime sessions together, uh, my father would always remind me who was really the strong one. And he would always be like, this is just so you know, I could have done this the whole time. And he'll always come out on top during those times. And I think that's a bit what it's like wrestling with the Lord, that there's this sort of intimacy that happens. There's this a deeper fostering of relationship when we wrestle together, and that the Lord allows himself to be conquered sometimes, like we see here in Genesis. That the Lord allows us to wrestle with him and struggle with him. But then we also see that the Lord ultimately, in the transformation he brings to Jacob, he brings humility into Jacob's heart. That in our wrestling with God, he humbles us. In our wrestling, he humbles us. It says in the scripture here that God touches the hip socket of Jacob and wrenches it out of place. It's almost like what my father would do to me. It's like, just so you know, I could have done this the whole time and I let you win. I let you conquer me. There's a sort of reminder from the Lord that he is ultimately the one who can come and humble our hearts. That he is the one who reminds us that he is the strong one and we are not. He is God and we are not. 
I think in this instance in Jacob's life, it's, it's, a, it's a literal thing that happened in Jacob's life, but it's also a symbolic humbling of his heart by God. Because in the Christian life, we always have this choice of, are we going to humble ourselves before the Lord, or are we going to let him do it for us? And the latter is a lot more painful when God humbles us, because God opposes the proud, but rejoices in the humble heart. So as we look at this idea of God in the wrestling, he humbles us. And we look at the origin story of Israel, the one who struggles with God, Israel, Jacob, the one who wrestles with God, and we see that that then becomes the theme of God's people throughout the Old Testament. This wrestling, this struggling with God, that that's the people group from which Jesus comes out of, that Jesus comes out of a people group who are struggling with God. And we see the beauty in a God who comes to us in our mess and in our struggle, a God who lowers himself to his people, a God who gets closer to his people in their struggles, not farther away. And we see in Jesus the heart of the humble one, the heart of someone who doesn't need to be humbled by the Lord like often we do and like Jacob did. But we see in Jesus the heart of the one who is fully submits to the will of God. And yet, even in that submission, even in that humility of heart, we see that, the, that Jesus still struggled with, with the Father. We see this in Luke 22, 39 through 45. It says this, Jesus went out to the usual place to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and knelt down and prayed. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed all the more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from the sorrow. Now you see in Jesus, he still has that struggle with God in Gethsemane before the passion, before his crucifixion, and yet because of the humble heart of God, he says, yet not my will but yours be done. There's this trust that existed between Jesus and the Father, and that when we humble our hearts before the Lord in our struggle, we know that, Jesus, that Lord, you are a God who can be trusted. That Jesus, I trust that in the midst of my struggle that you will look out for me. That Jesus, I trust that in the middle of all that's going on in my life, your will be done, not mine. And we see the humble heart of the Lord who chooses to enter into our mess, who comes down to taste our sadness, as one of the church fathers says. To live in the dirt and in the squalor. To become like us so that we can become like he is and rule and reign with him forever and ever. Amen. Uh, as uh, home team comes forward for communion, uh, one of the things that I want to start doing in this service is giving more space uh, for prophetic words to be spoken. 
Um, so one thing that we'll be adding to the services at the end of sermons is our prayer team has been listening for the Lord, and we'll be giving those prophetic words as, they, as the Lord speaks them to us. So there's a few for today. And if any of these kind of resonate in your hearts, we'll have some members of prayer team up here to come and ha- be prayed over for those. So uh, for someone in here, uh, there's someone in here who doesn't believe that God has a second chance for him, that maybe you feel like Jacob and you feel really guilty and ashamed of your past and you feel like a deceiver and you're wondering, will God give you redemption like Jacob? And so if that resonates with you at all, come and receive prayer. I feel like the Lord wants to meet you here today. There's also someone here who feels abandoned. Uh, Possibly a woman is what we think. Um, And she feels abandoned, particularly over the holiday season. If that's you, go and get prayer um, from Emily uh, during this time. And then also finally, the last word is that there's some fear in some people in this room. That they're that they hear God's call on their life, but they feel that it's been stifled by fear and worry that maybe answering that call will be difficult. And that's specifically related around the connect form and the stewardship form. And the word for the Lord for you is he says, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. So if any of those words resonate with you, just come and receive prayer. Or if you need prayer uh, from any, for any other issue, we would love to pray with you during our communion time.